Hello and welcome once more to another edition of Be In's Champions Club. And it's very simple. You have to be a champion to be in it. And that's why Ryan Giggs, Jens Lehmann and John Barnes are with me once more. Guys, great to have you uh, with us again in these difficult times. We thought as a discussion point, certainly to start us off this week, we would talk about um, managerial roles, influences that, that you have all had. Um, and obviously roles you have played or are about to play as managers yourselves. Uh, Ryan, let's come to you first. Um, for you, I suppose you were really thrown in at the deep end and your, your first role as a manager couldn't have been any bigger, could it, than, than being thrust into the limelight at Old Trafford? Uh, no, that's right. I was obviously still a player at United. Um, David Moyes had, had left the club and I had four games, um, which was an amazing experience. Um, it was two and a half weeks, felt like two and a half years. But um, no, it was, um, like I say, it was an amazing experience. It was a little bit strange because obviously I was still a player. Um, but um you know, I've said before, you can do all the coaching badges in the world, but until you actually experience being a manager and having to make them decisions, um, there's nothing like it. So, yeah, it was a brilliant start for me. Obviously, I played for the club for so long, been a supporter of the club, and to manage it, even though it was them, them four games, was was an amazing, um, amazing couple of weeks for me. What were you trying to achieve in that short space of time? Well, it was to win the four games. Um, you know, we'd had a obviously disappointing season um, and we still had a good group of players. Uh, my aim was to win the four games. We had uh, three home games, one away game. So we had, first of all, Norwich, which we won. Sunderland at home, uh, who were flying at the time. We lost 1-0. It was when Gus Poyet saved them from going down. Then we had Hull at home, which we won. And then we had Southampton, Pochettino, Southampton away, which we drew. So two wins, one loss, uh, one draw. Um, I wanted to win the four games. Obviously, I set that target. But um, yeah, it was um, in the, even though it was in that short space of time, I learned a lot. And what were you trying to draw on? I mean, for you, it's, it's rather strange in that you've not had that many managers at a club level. But then clearly at an international level, you'd, you've gone through, I don't know, eight or nine or something like that. Yeah, of course, I had the, the mainstay with Sir Alex at, at club level. But like you say, a lot of different managers um, with different philosophies at um, international level. And you can learn a little bit from, from all of them, really. Um, you know, even if it's learning from the mistakes they made or from the positive things. Um, that they did. So, yeah, I tried to learn whether it be the coaching or the psychology sort of aspect of it, which obviously Sir Alex was was a master at. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, you want to be your own person, though. So you take little bits from, from everyone, but you want to put your own um, stamp on, on your managing um, the way you want to manage. Yeah, and I think that really, Angus, just to jump in, I think that you have to be yourself because uh, players will find you out. If you know that, like Sir Alex Ferguson, for example, or Graham Taylor or Kenny Dalglish or whoever your favourite managers are and you're trying being like them, if that is not your character, you can't do that because players will find you out. So if you're not a manager who's going to, like Graham Taylor was and I suppose Sir Alex was, who's going to shout and scream at players, but you think that's the right thing to do because that got the best out of them and, and that's how Sir Alex did it or that's how Graham Taylor did it. If you do that to players, then what will happen then if they come back at you? If that's not your character to continue to do it. So you really have to, as Ryan says, take bits and pieces from, from, from the managers you've worked with, the good and the bad, learn from your mistakes. But the most important thing is to be yourself because you can't be somebody else. And if Sir Alex Ferguson is the greatest manager in the world and he manages this way, but you are not that type of a character, you can't be like Sir Alex Ferguson. You have to be yourself. Yeah, it's ultimately what you did as a player. You know, try and get the bits of your heroes or people you try and emulate, but still you've got to stay true to yourself and be your own personality. Jens, therefore, how instrumental was the fact that Arsene Wenger was, a, was an Arsenal at the time, was to you leaving Germany and coming over to, to Highbury and, um, or, or to North London and being with Arsene Wenger? At the time, he was uh, probably next to Sir Alex, uh, the most successful manager anyway in uh, England. And the only thing which was missing was the Champions League. Uh, but 
I knew that I was coming to somebody um, who was who had a fantastic reputation in man managing, uh, approaching the, the football, modern football, in a different way, probably to most of his colleagues at the time. And it was just uh, fantastic to see and to learn. For example, as a German, we never really cared about tactics and uh, in a in a system four four two or four. Uh, five one or whatsoever, and I've learned that in England. I've learned that from my teammates, and I've, le- I've learned that from Arsenal. So it was a great experience and fantastic education for me. I think the big bag of money in the suitcase helped as well, though, Jens, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> at the time, at the, allegedly, at the time, John, you know how it was. It was, a, it was, it was good, but I'm only joking. Day, I'm joking. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Borussia Dortmund. I came from Borussia Dortmund. I think they had to sell me because uh, they were on the way towards bankruptcy. So uh, I think it was a necessity for them to get rid of me. And they took whatever they can or could. What was the specific thing about Arsene, though, that made that team so successful for you? I think he, um, he gave you a lot of responsibility um, without having you on the short lead. And uh, so you knew that you had to perform. And uh, in the games, there was maximum pressure. Uh, in training, sometimes everybody approached it differently. But uh, during the week, which was new for me as well as a German, during the week, there are no supporters or, or audience uh, in the training sessions in England. And that's uh, very relaxing. Whereas you can fight with your teammates or whatsoever, but there's no um, no other guy standing around and making comments because when you go to Germany, sometimes when I was playing for Schalke or Dortmund, we had five to six thousand people for training sessions, and um, that was very relaxing. But on the other hand, the pressure in the game was bigger. But would he would Arsene you know watch everything that you were doing? Um... On a, on a training session? Did, did you feel always the eye of the manager that was on you? Of course. I think uh, great managers like him, uh, uh, same goes for Sir Alex probably, um, they always uh, look at everything. Um, their eye is not missing a single detail. Um, I think he was surprised when I came in because I remember when I came in, um, people thought I was a little bit mad because I was running out of my goals sometimes in training and in the games. And I think he was, he didn't really understand that as well. Um, but uh, everybody got on with each other and um, he always put us into a good, um, how can I say, corridor, you know, where you, uh, you, have a, you had a certain corridor um, of behavior, of uh, your own, um, uh, your own uh, performance but you should not step out of this corridor. How often did he did he get sort of riled up then? Did he get angry with when things didn't go right? Look look how he got wound up with Sir Alex Ferguson. When I saw, for example, um, Alex Ferguson, I never had him as a manager, but I always thought when I saw him that this guy was the same kind of, or kind of the same guy of manager, where you always um, were scared a little bit uh, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but, you know, like these managers, they have always a fine line of supporting you, um, giving you some good clues. But on the other hand, you knew if you made a mistake or two, you're out. And um, so this is this little fear I always thought was great. For me, at least, it was great to have that. And it was with Arsene. I can imagine it was with um, uh, Sir Alex as well because I had the impression without knowing Is that true, Ryan? Is that sort of the fine line that, that Sir Alex had? I mean, look, he had plenty of fallouts with, with players. You survived longer than anyone uh, under him being your manager. Oh, there was definitely fear, um, especially early on. I mean, he mellowed a little bit <laughs> as he got older, but not a lot. Uh, but definitely early on, especially as a young player, he had this cough, which you could hear. You know, it'd be like, <clears throat> and if you heard that at our first training ground at the cliff, you would very often turn the other way and just, you, you didn't want to cross him. You just, uh, 18, 19, 20, because you just never knew what sort of mood he was in. 
So um, there was definitely that fear, but ultimately there was always that respect. Whether he had a go at you or, um, you know, you just fell out with him, there was always that respect, but definite fear, definite. Did you fall out with him much? Because look what happened to the likes of, you know, Beckham, Keane, Stan. They were all turfed out of the club. So how, how on earth did you survive so long? No, I fell out with him plenty of times. I mean, the amount of times I would say over my career, six or seven times where it was a couple of weeks wages, I was fined for talking back, for having an argument. But at the time, it's it's not very nice. You're in the dressing room and you're, you know, you're, you've just got beat or you've just had a bad performance. And I just couldn't help myself have a go back. Um, he actually, later in his career, he li- he told me he liked that. It meant that you cared. He still, he'd fine you two weeks because um, he wanted to show that sort of um, that he was in charge, but he actually quite liked it, as long as it didn't cross the line, of course. But especially at the end of the game, and he was mad and he was crazy, and the players are, they haven't gone back, and obviously there was a lot of strong characters in that dressing room. As long as you didn't cross the line, um, he actually enjoyed it. And, and the good thing is, the next day it was finished. The next day... You know, he would fine you two weeks' wages, a week's wages. The next day, he would get you in, right, that's it, it's over with, let's move on. So why ultimately do you think when he had the big arguments with some of the other players that they then left the club, did, do you think that made a difference? When you say some of it was forgotten, now clearly in some instance, incidences, it wasn't. That, that was the end of it. I think the majority of the time, it was for football reasons. Um, it was whether to get someone in or... The players maybe losing that influence. Um, or it was just time. You know, it was, you know, the likes of David Beckham. It was getting too much where it was it was arguing, you know, every other week, really. And, yeah, it was just time for, for both parties to move on. And that happened on a few occasions. I think looking, Angus, looking from the outside what in. What did you do, John? Did you... Um... Looking from the outside in, and I mentioned Graham Taylor a little bit before I go to, to tell you my, my perspective from, from Ryan's point of view, from Man United's point of view. Graham Taylor was scary. Were you talking about the early 80s when managers had carte blanche? They were in charge. When he said jump, you jumped. And of course, in Ryan's early days at Manchester United, <clears throat> in that, what, that's what would have happened. But if you're looking at the incidents you're talking about with either Beckham, Roy Keane, um, Yapstam, this is in the pre- Premier League era when players were becoming more powerful. So therefore, at that time, players could answer back. And Ryan said every now and again he may answer back, but I bet Sir Alex always had the last word. And then not only was it forgotten about, Ryan will then not continue for the next two, three, four weeks. But as players became more powerful, you then had a confrontation between a manager and a player, and a manager as big and powerful as Sir Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger, who then weren't able to curtail players because players became so powerful, had to result in a situation whereby David Beckham had to go or Roy Keane had to go. Had that been, even with David Beckham and Roy Keane and Yap Stam, had that been 10 years earlier, they would have been the same characters but, but because the managers were so powerful and the players knew that when the manager says jump, we jump. Yes, you may have an argument back, but it's not going to continue. That situation may have been resolved. And with Graham Taylor, that's exactly what it was. Pat Rice won the double with Arsenal in 1970. He came to Watford as a 32-year-old double winner. When Graham Taylor told Pat to do something, he did it. There was no arguing. Or Pat may have argued a little bit, but ultimately he knew that Graham Taylor would have the last word. So I think that with the three managers, Arsene Wenger, um, Sir Alex Ferguson and Graham Taylor, they ran the club. They had carte blanche to do what they wanted. Coming to Liverpool was different. Because Liverpool, Liverpool, and obviously there were two Liverpools. My first time at Liverpool between 87 and 92 when the Premier League started was one, and Ryan would have been a young player at that time knowing that the culture was going out and drinking and, you know, we didn't do any coaching. The manager allowed you to do what you want. You had to perform, but the manager allowed you to do what you want. Liverpool's strength from Kenny Dalglish, and I always said I felt I played under Bill Shankly. Because when I went to Liverpool, whatever Kenny Dalglish did, Bob Paisley, Joe Fagan, Bill Shankly did before him. It was just a continuation. There was nothing new. So I felt I played under Bill Shankly. They didn't do any coaching. They allowed you to drink. They allowed you to go out. But when you came to the training ground, you performed. And the greatest thing that Liverpool did, and the Liverpool mantra was about getting good players, seeing players who could fit into what they, what, what they wanted to do. They didn't coach us. That's why I always say it wasn't a good place for young players to go to Liverpool because they allowed you to do what you wanted on and off the field. When I went to Liverpool after six years of playing at the highest level at Watford, 
four years playing international football. When I got there, they said, you have shown that you can be a good player. So we're not going to tell you what to do. We're not going to coach you, but we know that you can fit into what we want. Now, obviously, as time went on and coaching became much more, as Jan said in Germany, they didn't talk about tactics and 4-4-2 and, 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 and 4-5-1. Liverpool was exactly the same. As the Premier League went on and then the coaches came in, because I'm sure Ryan will, I'm not sure, I may be wrong, but I don't know whether Sir Alex was a real tactician in terms of putting on the sessions. But as time went on, that is when the tactical managers, you know, the Mourinho's and, and those managers came in. And, but my first few years at Liverpool was not about that. It was about getting good players who could fit into what Liverpool wanted without them telling you what to do. I don't know how I became a Liverpool player in terms of understanding what Liverpool wanted because they never coached me once. I was not given one bit of instruction. I learned from the senior players. I learned by looking at, at, at what Liverpool did. So, Kenny Dalglish, for me, was just like working under Bill Shankly. That's why I say my most influential manager was Graham Taylor. He moulded me into being the person I was and the player I was in terms of discipline, the way we train, your attitude. But at Liverpool, it was just get on with it. How can you succeed then? How can you be champions if you're not being coached? Well, back then, um, they had the best players. <laughs> and I, I suppose... It was interesting because the team who then all of a sudden tactically started to be ahead of everybody else was Arsenal with George Graham. And they never had the best players. So if you look at Arsenal's team, even against Manchester United's team, who had great players in the, in the mid-80s, they were Arsenal, uh, George Graham coached them to play a particular style of football, which we all know what it was. Wimbledon, for example, became successful because no one else was, was paying that much attention to tactics. You look at, you know, teams like who played good football back then. Norwich finished third. You know, Ron Atkinson with Aston Villa. It was all about the players. But once tactics started to come in, a team who had decent good players, but they were also tactically very good, became more successful. And that is when you started to see the foreign coaches coming in because the whole idea of the old English coaches was not about tactics. It was about get up and at them, have a good team spirit, get stuck in. And it's up to individuals. So it's a little bit like, you look at the culture of English football back then when you talk about a big drinking culture. And as much as Liverpool did it, Ryan will tell you, you know, with Robbo and some of the players in the early 80s, Paul McGrath, there was a bit, but all of England were doing it. All of England were doing it. Now, what changes when Arsene Wenger came? Because once Arsene Wenger, and of course Jens would have been there with Tony Adams and, and Merce and people like that, once that culture changed and, uh, and Arsenal started to get more professional in terms of looking after themselves, everyone else had to do it. Jens, for you, how tactical did you feel that that invincible side was? Or how much, like John's saying, that you, know, you, you were such good players that you were more or less playing the way that you guys wanted to do? Or how much instruction was there about the way you wanted to play? I mean, tactically at the time, we speak from 17 years ago, 16, 17 years ago, it wasn't just such a big art yeah, to apply some tactics. It was more structure, obviously. Uh, formation, formation was important. Uh, still important, in my uh, opinion. Formations are there's a difference between formation and tactics. Uh, because what will you do? Your tactic will change if you're one nil down, and if you're two nil up, your tactic changes as well. Um, but formations are very important, even now. As I said before, I've learned it. I've learned. For me, it was perfect to play behind a, uh, a chain of four. Uh, because um, I always like to push them high up and I could uh, do some uh, sweeper keeper behind. And so I learned a lot from my teammates. And uh, that was um, what John said before. It was more about good players and they sort themselves out sometimes on the game, uh, on the pitch themselves. That was, uh, that's uh, what was it about. It was not that much given by the manager. If you think about Pat Rice worked with Arsene, and I worked with Pat Rice. So if you think about Arsenal, when you talk about the back four of probably a bit before Jens times, but maybe at the same time, Dixon, Winterburn, Bold, Adams, or, or whoever it was, they work tactically on the back four. So therefore they were solid. And then when you have great players in front of them, they go out and play. So they're well organized defensively. And of course, offensively, the flair players go and play. And I think that that is what most teams actually did. The tactics it's was true. when you were out of possession, how to actually work out of possession. But in possession... You just re really yeah. did, did, did whatever you wanted to do. That's, that's true. I mean, uh, we still worked a lot on uh, Pat Rice. He took the defense and uh, worked with them. And then Arsene uh, took the offensive players. And then uh, sooner or later in training, 
uh, we mingled them. And um, so we played um, offensive games against uh, defensive structure and uh, the other way around. Um, that's right. But in terms of today, for example, when you have to position players and uh, the ball is here, you have to be there, wait and um, go for whatever you can do. Um, that was different by then. The amount of tactical work was probably, I don't know, uh, I cannot say a percentage, but it was less. I just want to say to Ron, when, when Sir Alex, did Alex, Sir Alex, was he the one who did the tactical work? Or, I mean, I know Steve McLaren came in and before him there have been somebody else. But was Sir Alex involved in the, tactic, in the tactical work? Yeah, I mean, he set the tone. He would give the coaches the instruction what we need to work on this week. But not once did he take a session, a training session. It was all down to the coaches. He would take the meetings um, a lot of the time on the op- opposition. But actually... Steve McLaren, Brian Kidd, Rennie Mullenstein, Carlos Kiros, Mick Phelan, they would be the ones who were implementing them um, tactics in the training ground. They would set up the training sessions to implement what we wanted to do on that Saturday. And the manager would just oversee it. Like you said, they, he, was, he was more or less running the club. So rather than just an hour's training, he would be, he would be there every time, but it would be the coaches actually implementing it. And did the freshness come from being different number twos throughout your time at Old Trafford? I mean, everyone had their different personalities, their different philosophy. But also, I think um, Jens and and Barnsley will um, agree with me. When when you're at the top, you're just adding maybe a player, two players every season. So, tactically, a player is coming in. And he will look at how his, if he's a fullback, how his wide man in front of him is playing or his centre half next to him. And there would just be little tweaks because there was no mass changes. There was no bringing six or seven players where you had to learn, everyone had to learn new tactics, new structure, new um, formations. So when the, play, when the teams are at the top, you see Liverpool now, they're not buying six or seven players every year. They're just adding where they need to to strengthen. And that is what all the top teams who are at the top, they're not buying five or six players, they're buying a couple of players. So then it is easier for the manage, for the manager and the coaches to actually go along the same way. And then it's up to them players to come in and learn how you how you play. So in yeah, that respect, that we, pool, lo- sorry, yes, go on. In that respect, uh, we haven't learned a lot because I was the only new player. And what will you learn tactically from a goalkeeper? <laughs> mm, yes, but that is where Ryan is right. You learn from what you see. So when I went to Liverpool, I just learned from what I saw was the Liverpool way, the Manchester United way. The problem you have these days is that every January, five new players come to the club. And then at the end of the season, another five come. So how are you going to learn a Manchester United way, a Liverpool way? Because it changes all the time with players. So that is why it's much harder now. I think it's much harder now for managers because they, as Ryan says, you don't have to do much. The players will learn from the senior players or the players that have been there for four, five, six, seven years. And it continues. Whereas now, and particularly now, when you are likely, in the old days, the players who left the big clubs, the Arsenal's and the Manchester United and the Liverpool's, weren't the superstar players. They were the, the, the players who couldn't get in the team, necessarily. So your superstar players stayed with the club. In modern football, what happens is, regardless of which club you are, your best players leave your club to go and make more money elsewhere. So you then have to bring in other players. And when you have a great team with great players who is winning, then all of a sudden your best players leave. You, you keep your fingers crossed that the players that you're going to bring in will be equally as good so you can maintain that consistency. But you really don't know. Because if you think of the old days, Russian Dalglish and, 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 and Sunes, okay, Sunes went at the end of his career, but the top players stayed at the club. Manchester United, the Scolzes and the Giggses, and the, they never left the club. It was the players who couldn't get in the team. Whereas now in football, the best players leave their clubs, which makes it so difficult to maintain that consistency every single year. What did Kenny Dalglish bring to Liverpool? Because he had to do what sort of Ryan has, has done, that, that quick transition from being a player to a top club manager. Yeah, but Kenny was fortunate because Kenny took over at Liverpool when they were the best team. Ryan had his four games or was looking to take over Manchester United when they, they, they weren't the best team and they were in a bit of a transition. And I suppose it's a little bit like when Graham Souness took over Liverpool after Kenny and Liverpool were in transition, but the expectation was that we should get back there. So that is, it was always going to be difficult. Whereas for Kenny, initially, he just had to not change anything. 
You know, they won. They were the best team in 84-85. He took over in 85-86, and they did the double. The next year, they finished second, you know, which can happen when Everton won. But the year after that, we won the league. We got to the cup final. And for the next three years, you know, we're in the first or second. And so, depending on the club you're actually taking over, the stage of the, stage of the club, in terms of whether they are in transition on the way down, or whether, you know, they're already up there, and, 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 and Ryan taking over the best team who are winning the league then that's just going to continue anyway. So it really depends on the time of the takeover. And Kenny was fortunate in that respect. But clearly there was something about him and, and obviously the person who he was that suited him to being that manager. Well, he was a, he was a Liverpool man, wasn't he? He'd been there for 10, 12 years. He understood the Liverpool But that doesn't tradition. necessarily bring su- success, does it? And I know but, you, had a, you, you were champions, but yeah, still you've got to keep that going. Absolutely. But the Liverpool thing, once again, was we are doing this every year. So I'm not saying that if it wasn't Kenny Dalglish, it was somebody else who took over at that time, that Liverpool would, not necessar- would necessarily have continued to do that. But he didn't change anything. He didn't do anything different. The one thing I'd say Kenny did, which I think showed the quality of Kenny, was that Liverpool, and as Ryan will tell you, for years and years when Man United were the top team, they didn't change players. Liverpool didn't change players. All of a sudden, Dalglish has retired and Rush has gone. So now how are you going to replace them? You still have the midfield players, you've got the back four, but how are you going to replace them? So in then signing, when John Aldridge came, I came and Peter Bearsley came, that was a big gamble because, you know, you're, you're replacing your top two players up front who score the goals and they're the, the, the flair players with a player from Watford, a player from Newcastle and a player from Oxford. But what, so is it going to work? How do we know it was going to work? But what Liverpool always did was they looked at the character over a period of time. John Aldridge was 28 when he came to Liverpool. He was a 21-year-old, untested. Peter Bears, the most expensive player, been playing for England for five years. I'm playing for England for five years. So they looked at the character, looked, because what you can't do is then sign a young player coming to Liverpool and then thinking, we're going to give him time. And maybe, you know, it may not work, but they, they don't want to make mistakes. So they say, we're signing a player who we feel, because he's shown he's had six years of consistency, that when he comes to Liverpool and had that pressure is on, he's able to handle it. So Kenny was just great at spotting players. He never worked with us, tactically didn't coach us, but he could see something in you that I never knew I had in myself. How could I play for Liverpool, who's a team who plays out from the back, plays the ball along the ground, from Watford, which is a long ball team who just gets the ball forward? I'm not a Liverpool-type player. I didn't think I was. But of course, my first week in Liverpool, it worked well because they saw something in me that I didn't even know I had in myself. So spotting players... Is the best thing as Arsene did with Vieira, who was you know he'd say and Burkham. They didn't they failed in Italy, if you like, you know Henri. But how does he know they're going to come to England and do well? That that's one of his legacies, isn't it, Jens? What what Arsene, the players that Arsene, including yourself, brought to North London and made a success of that. And the, and the list is you know goes on forever. Whether it's Henri, yourself, Vieira, Petit. Um, Pires, whoever it might be, there was an extraordinary number of players that he brought in. Absolutely. I think that he was um, very much focused on data, uh, so more in selling players, because when he saw that uh, the players peaked physically, it was time for him to sell them. And still, when people thought, oh, how can you sell them? He's still great. But he already knew that they were peaking and that now he could get some money as a year later or two years later, probably only half of it. Uh, and when you, are, when you got signed by a big club, um, Ryan unfortunately cannot uh, uh, speak about it because he only played for one club. <laughs> but when you get signed by a big club, you always know that you're one of two or three um, top candidates on the list. So sometimes you don't know if you're really number one or number two because uh, you don't know if the other was, were available or something did not work out. But at least you know that you're there um, in the top category. And Arsene had a very good eye for that, for that. And he was used to buy cheap. That has changed probably a little bit in later years because uh, all of a sudden he had more money. And um, he looked at other examples. All of a sudden when people got more money, they don't really feel uh, secure in fishing in a bigger pond with bigger fishes. And he always was very uh, hesitating to buy for, for a lot of money because he didn't see the value in big money players. That was part of the frustration, though, wasn't it? Uh, fans would think, 
us then you're just being tight we want you to go out and spend lots of money where he would see value somewhere else but actually some of those signings didn't pay off and maybe ultimately that was his his downfall yeah probably uh, I mean there's some there's some there are always some details which uh, play against your your odds or how, how you say it in England um, it is it is a mixture because uh, you use, for example, when I go to Arsenal, and uh, probably the same goes for Ryan, when you go to Arsenal, you always compare it now with a new generation. And they tell you, oh, if only you guys were still there. Yeah, But generations move on, they're different. So you have to get on with another generation, and you can be sure that the generation at Manchester City or Liverpool, they're probably the same like at Arsenal or Manchester United. Um, there's something else which all of a sudden makes a difference. But, uh, so was your data, when you left, Jens, was your data telling Arsene, right, we've got to get rid of this, uh, this German goalkeeper, we need a younger one in? Well, I have to tell you that uh, when I was, uh, after the um, season when we've won the championship, um, I made a mistake. We lost two games against United. Um, it was, I think it was a dive by Wayne Rooney when they got... Uh, <laughs> I got rewarded with a penalty. <laughs> and then we, the second away game from home, we lost by a wonder shot from Neil Meller. Never heard before and after of him. But um, we've lost and he took me out of the goal. And he said, you're too tired, you're too old. And I made the mistake twice. So I don't want to make it the third time yeah, with you guys. You can leave the club as well. <laughs> and I, then I told him, no, no, I'm not leaving. And I was arguing with him every week about it. And then he got me back. And um, actually... Um, then in the next two or three years I was um, showing the best I ever had uh, probably when my wife got me to yoga uh, I was uh, doing uh, uh, meditation and stuff like that and that mixture helped me to get over my age and to perform better than before Sorry, there's an interesting thing Yang said about when you talk about the money and spending money the problem you have once big money came into football was that if you're going to buy Messi, Ronaldo, players like that for 100 million, that's not a problem. When you have so much money, you then started to buy average players for a lot of money. Now, you will then, and because you have money, you're under pressure to spend it. So the Arsenal fans are saying to him, We have money, let's spend it. Now, at Arsenal, you're not going to get at that particular time the very, very, very top players because of the salaries they were paying, but they had money to buy players for 50, 60 million pounds. But you will then end up spending 100 million pounds on four, three players, but not improving. Because a player for 30 million isn't a top, top player, but it's still a lot of money. So I think that, that that's what happened with a lot. Liverpool went through that situation of spending a lot of money and not improving. Whereas Liverpool are in the situation now when if a player becomes available for 100 million and they can afford to do it and he's a top player, then you do that. Whereas a lot of the, what Liverpool were doing in the past and Arsenal have done in the past because they had money is spending lots of money on players and not improving. And that's what Arsenal didn't want to do. I'm sure if he could have got a top player because of the salaries they were paying, he would have done it. But then he was under pressure to then sign players. But the, he signed a lot of players, as they are doing now, but they're not improving. It's so a good point. Just going back to something that Yen said there, you know, that he had Arsene saying, look, actually, you can leave. You've reached this stage. Did you ever have Sir Alex saying, Ryan, I think your time is up and you've disproved it and, and carried on going for as long as you did? Um, yeah, around 2003, 2004, I didn't have a great start to the season. Um, it was the it was the summer that actually David Beckham um, went. And that was probably the closest um, that I'd got to going. Um, my form wasn't great. And it was the sort of transition period where I've gone from flying winger to actually coming a little bit more inside. I'd lost that pace. Um, but he actually never really said it. And I actually, I actually ended the season quite strong. If I hadn't ended the season strong, who knows? But other than that, there was not really a time when the manager would um, would say that I wasn't doing well. Over, I, know I was in and out of the team towards the end of the career, but I was used to that. And I was, I was fine with that, you know, 35 to 40. I was fine. And I got my head around that quite quickly that I would be in and out of the team. That's the most important thing. Because what happened to me at Liverpool was that when I got to 35, um, and it was apparent 
Paul Ince had just come. It was apparent that I wasn't going to be playing regularly the following season. I had a decision to make. I could have stayed at Liverpool and been you know, on the bench and played now and again, but I still wanted to play every week. So if it meant me leaving a, 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 a club like Liverpool to go where I'm going to play, that's what I'll do. Whereas, you know, it's, it's, it's not a question of... Because it happens to everybody. We get old, we, we will then, you know, have to take a step back. So it really depends on the individual who then decides for himself that I'll be happy. And Ryan said he was happy to be not playing every week, so he played until he was 40. Um, but if you do want to play regularly and you're at a top club, there's no point staying at that top club and insisting on getting unhappy that you play. You then have to, you know, take a step down and go to a different club. Which is what I did. I adapted. I adapted to it quite well. I got my head around yeah. it. Scolzi was a little bit different. Scolzi wanted to play every week, and that's when he retired and then come back because he missed it. But Scolzi didn't. I could look after myself. I could sort of um, go two weeks without playing and then come into the team and have an impact. Scolzi couldn't yeah. do that. He found it hard. He wanted to play every game, even if his body yeah. wasn't telling him that. So yeah. Scolzi was a little bit more difficult for Sir Alex to handle. Whereas me, it was probably a little bit easier. But then he had to handle, you know, big names the whole time, didn't it? Some of the names we've talked about, you know, uh, the Stams, the Keens, the Beckhams, yourself, dealing in certain situations. If you go back to um, Eric Cantona, Ryan, and what he had to deal with towards the end of the Cantona time, and what we've sort of had an anniversary of very recently is sort of the, the, the Kung Fu kick at Palace. How how was that handled within the club, did you feel? Um, well, it was one of his strengths, handling players and handling different personalities, characters, um, whether to have a go at a player or whether to put an arm around a player. There was three or four players that he never had a go at. Cantona was one, Brian Robson, Roy Keane and Cristiano Ronaldo. They were all, in their own ways, match winners. Um, they did the stuff on the pitch. So he never felt, because Eric, there were some games where Eric didn't do anything. You know, if he didn't score, he wasn't running about like a Tevez or a Wayne Rooney. You know, he, he didn't have any impact, but he knew sooner or later he would he would come good. So, you know, we would be sat in the dressing room thinking, he's got to have a go at him. He's got to have a pop at him. Because, you know, he didn't do anything today. But the next week he'd score the winner or he would produce a moment of magic. So, he handled the big names really well. Um, as long as they were doing it on the pitch, he didn't really. He handled them in di- a different way, and that was where the psychologist. He was a master at psychology. He was a master of getting the best out of certain individuals. Like I say, whether to put an arm round or whether to give them a bit of a rocket at half time or after the game or leave them out, knowing that that play would react in a positive way. I think that's the best thing. That's, that's, that's what Alex Ferguson did. As far as I remember, night, he didn't actually say anything to Eric. He, he said, I was just about to have a go at him. And then I, I just realised I couldn't. I almost laughed at, at what happened uh, at the time. What was the reaction in the dressing room? Um, the reaction in the dressing room, this could be the first time we see Eric <laughs> getting a talking to. You know, we were all waiting. Um, we were all, we couldn't wait. It never, it not happened in two or three, four years. Um, but yeah, I think it was that us against them mentality, which he used so many times. So he knew everyone was going to be after Eric. So he wanted to protect him and to show that this was home. It was the same when Beck's come back from the World Cup. Come back to United, you'll show them, we'll show them. It's us against them mentality, which again, um, it was that psychology part of his management, which he was so good at. That's where I think he was the master. Because I know Graham Taylor would not have put up with that. Graham Taylor treats everybody the same. And that is why when he went to, with England, for example, with Gaza or Gary Lineker or other players, he found it difficult because he treats everybody the same. He shouts at everybody or he puts his armour on everybody. Whereas Terry Venables was different. You have to know how to treat Gaza differently to other players. So I think that that is where man management is so important. Whereby, you know, and, and as Ryan is talking about, I... I don't know whether it was Dennis Irwin, but I've been with some of the Manchester United players on the after-dinner circuit, and they tell the story when Eric got sent off. And when Eric got sent off, the talk, Ryan will remember, he was actually having a go at a lot of the players who didn't perform. And they were saying, wait till he gets to Eric, because Eric got sent off. And he was saying, you were terrible, you were terrible. And then he went to Eric, and he went to Eric. Yeah, but you shouldn't have done that, son. <laughs> and that was it. You know, he didn't really... Sh- because he knows to get the best out of him, that's what he has to do. And that is where man management is very good. Terry Venables was a master at that. Graham Taylor, my favourite manager, was not like that at all. 
because he believed that everybody has to be the same, we treat everybody the same, and if you are a type of character who's a bit flaky, you're not for him. So Whitey was a great manager. I think that a manager like Sir Alex or Terry Venables, who knows how to handle different characters, and people may say he's letting him get away with stuff and other players couldn't get away with, but if it means that you're going to win the Dublin and have all those trophies, you'll put up with that. I don't know whether Arsene did, Jens. Did Arsene, did Arsene shout at some players and not at others and treated them differently? To be honest, the only time he was angry was uh, with me. And uh, I saw him uh, in front of the team because we uh, won the championship at uh, Spurs and we didn't know. And there was a penalty at the end and he thought it was my fault giving the penalty away. But uh, So he was uh, shouting at me and uh, arguing and I said, no, it was my fault. And two hours later, when we realized, and we realized before, but two hours later, when we came to, um, uh, to back to the training center, uh, getting off the bus, he said to me, oh, Jens, uh, sorry, I made a mistake. I saw it on telly. It wasn't your fault. But all the others were cheering, but at me, he was shouting. <laughs> so, what about um, Martin Keown? Was he still there? He must have fallen out with Martin Keown. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did at times. He did at times. But, for example... Uh, I think Arsene always, he, he, he picked the situation yeah, to shout at me because I was shouting at anybody else in my team when they were not running or whatever. Yeah? And so he thought, now I give you a stick. And uh, that's what, that was his opportunity to do it. Uh, whereas Martin or, or the other uh, players, um, they didn't really uh, start arguing with me. And, and to be honest, I was uh, one of the oldest players, so you, as a young player, you don't really start as an old player. How did you respond, John? What was the best way to get you playing? Put an arm around me. I wasn't one who needed to be shouted at. If I knew I wasn't doing well, because I'd always give... I, I think you shout at players for two reasons. Either they're not trying, or you think if I shout at them, they will perform better. Two reasons. Now, I would never not try. From Graham Taylor, from the first... My first session as a 17-year-old to my last session, I gave 100%. So no manager would shout at me for not trying. Now, the only decision is if I'm not playing well, are they going to get the best out of me by shouting at me? And the answer is no. So they will have to leave me alone. Someone like Steve McMahon, for example, who needs that, even if he's not playing well. So that's where managers have to know the character of the players and how to get the best out of them. But I wasn't the player who responded to shouting at. Obviously, if I wasn't trying, then he shouted at me, that's fine. But, you know, that wasn't the, situ that wasn't the case. And Jens, for you, clearly with Arsene played the right cards to say, right, you're leaving, you know, you're too old and you've gone and changed the way you're training. You're, you're into yoga, you're, you're doing whatever to extend your career to prove to your manager that you are good enough to stay. Yes, I mean, I had to think, okay, I'm here with my children now. Uh, I was at AC Milan. Um, I made a mistake. I've left too early there. Um, so I didn't want to make the same mistake uh, twice. And uh, because my children were at school just uh, in the first year, my wife was settling into London. I said, no, 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 I'm not leaving. I'm getting better. And I've changed everything. And then what I needed, and um, in the aftermath, you always feel it, um, I was a guy who needed pressure. Yeah? When I was under pressure, I was good. When there was not enough pressure, I was sloppy and tried some things on the pitch. And obviously that wasn't by, perceived by my teammates or by my managers. <laughs> Ryan, do you feel you've got to treat, and now as a manager, you treat players differently or do you try and treat them all the same? No, I do treat them differently. Um, I think it's, it's obviously a little bit different at international level because you don't have a lot of time with them. But you've got to quickly establish which are the ones that you can push and which are the ones that um, you know, you've got to put an arm around and encourage to get the best out of them. So players are a little bit more fragile, um, but there's still players who can take it, who are a little bit more old school. Um, but more or less, you have to treat players differently now. It's not like when I first started. They're a little bit more fragile, and they have so many outside influences as well. So, um, yeah, I, I do treat certain players differently um, than, you know, which I think, which is how you're going to get the best out of them. And everyone is different. Everyone has different personalities. I think it's, it's like it's, working it's a fantastic job. a big personality like Louis, Louis van Gaal, who had a, a definite arrogance about him in the way that, that he coached and managed. Yeah, I mean, Sir Alex and Louis had so many 
similar attributes. Um, they delegated well. Um, they had standards. They were very punctual. Um, the, one, the one thing that separates them is that sort of handling a maverick. So how Louis would have handled Eric would have been completely different because he was actually, he he was very much like uh, Barnes, he said about Graham Taylor, treating everyone the same. So no matter who you are, everyone has to train the same, do the same uh, workload. And of course, um, there are different ways and Louis was massively successive, successful, but that was the, the one difference between Sir Alex and Louis. He wanted everyone to be the same Louis and do everything the same. Um, whereas Sir Alex would give the odd player a little bit more leeway. I think it's fantastic when you are a national team manager because you only act by invitation. That means if you like a player and he does what you'd like to do, you have him. And if not, if somebody goes on your nerves, you can say, oh, sorry, for some reason I try somebody else. There's no contractual <laughs> obligation. <laughs> there's a lot of pluses, That's there's true. a lot of minuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John, for you, what... Who was the, the biggest influence then as a, a player? Because you had different, clearly different styles of, of management that you've had, even though, you know, a few at Liverpool, but different styles of, of manager. Who influenced you most? Well, Graham Taylor influenced me on and off the field in terms of the right thing to do, the correct thing to do. My managerial style will be different to Graham's, not just tactically in terms of the way we play, but also in terms of having to deal with different players. Because nowadays... Obviously, in 2020, you can't treat players as Ryan says. And as Jens says, they've got big characters now who are equally as powerful, if not more powerful than the manager. So therefore, you have to sometimes do what you don't want to do. You know, if you have to shout at a player, but you think you're not going to get the best out of him, and maybe 20 years ago you would shout at him, now you can't do that. So I think that I would have to adapt what I would want to do now to be a manager. Why are you not managing? Why, why did your career come to the end? Because if you look, you started at a, you know, a massive club. You... Effectively, you're, you're what Steven Gerrard is, is doing now. You're a huge footballing name yeah. uh, that went to a huge footballing club. And I bet your record at Celtic is, is not much worse than Steven Gerrard's is at Rangers. It's actually better. <laughs> I have a 65% win record at Celtic, which was the second best manager after... after 65% win percentage was second best after... What's his name? We did all of great things. Dockstein. Obviously, the Inverness Cali Thistle game. The Inverness Cali Thistle game where we lost was the one that obviously I got the sack after that. But if you look at the, my record at Celtic, wasn't bad. My record at Celtic wasn't bad. But at that particular time, there was a lot of animosity towards me being at Celtic because I wasn't a Catholic. I am a Catholic, but I didn't say I was a Catholic. I had no affiliation with Celtic, and they liked it to be. And of course, in Scotland at that particular time, if you don't beat Rangers, Rangers don't beat Celtic, you failed. So of course, Rangers were the better team. They were spending more money. We then were trying to catch them. Um, and... and Rangers are in the problem they are now because they were spending more money back then. That's the money they didn't have. They were, they were paying more sal higher salaries than any team in England when Terry Butcher and people like that were there. So we were never going to beat Rangers, but we were slowly catching them. And of course, because the harmony wasn't right, you see this, this situation. And as Ryan will tell you, or Jens will tell you, with Arsene Wenger in the early days, Sir Alex Ferguson, the most important thing is the harmony of the club, the trust that you have of the manager, the belief, the togetherness, and being given time. If you don't have that, as Liverpool didn't have for many years, as, as Manchester United didn't have with Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, it's nothing to do, it's to do with the harmony. And if the harmony's not right, the person who's going to get the sack is the manager. And the harmony wasn't right. Jens, do you want to be in the dugout in the future? I was an assistant coach twice, and uh, so twice my manager at one time asked and said, okay, probably enough for him, probably the club uh, said, okay, uh, let's move on. Um, so you're dependent on somebody else, and the second time it was only a short spell, uh, the manager got sacked after a couple of months. So I think it's better to be responsible even for your own mistakes, not for somebody else's mistakes. Um, and so it could be. Right now I'm, I'm uh, targeting something else, but it could be. I remember Ray Wilkins saying to him before he sadly died, he said, look, I, I, I've been number two six, eight times and you always disappear when the manager goes. So it's really tough being a number two. Um, Ryan, for you, you're, look, you are a number one. You've been a number two. Um, where does it go after, after Wales? 
I'm not too sure. I'm, I'm enjoying it at the moment. I mean, um, like I said before, there's negatives and positives. Um, not having time to improve players um, is a frustration because you don't get much time with them. Um, us being a small nation, there's only a small pot of players to choose from. But um, lifestyle is pretty good. Um, you know, come international weeks, it's very intense. The spotlight is huge. But then away from that, you know, Christmas, you get time to spend with the family. You can go skiing, all these different things, which the two years at Manchester United when I was under Louis, the pressure is huge and the workload is huge. So there's positives and negatives. But um, I don't know at the moment. I mean, the plan was to try and get Wales to Qatar, the World Cup. And um, that's... The one thing now we've got to the Euros, that's the one thing that I've still got left to do. So after that, I'm not too sure. I mean, it, it would be an extraordinary uh, league if the likes of uh, Stephen Gerrard came down um, and then the likes of yourself were managing, Frank Lampard were in it. It would be the whole new breed of you know, former superstar players. Is that an enticing uh, prospect? <laughs> Well, thank, Frank's obviously doing a wonderful job, and so is Steven Gerrard. Um, and yeah, I, I think you know when you've played for clubs and you know you're associated to that club so much, um, there is something special about managing that club. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful, but there's, there's always something special, like Barnsley touched on with Kenny. Um, but I'm not too sure. I mean, obviously, the Premier League would be great to to one day manage him because it's the place to be. But, um, yeah, like I say, at the moment, I'm, I'm quite happy where I am. And um, there's frustrations, but also I'm enjoying it thoroughly with a good group of young players coming through. Well, you've got plenty of work to do at Wales, so uh, we look forward to seeing how you get on with that. Gents, it's been great uh, to have you once more today. My thanks to Ryan Giggs, Jens Lehmann and John Barnes. We will be back very shortly on BN Sports with the Champions Club. We hope to see you soon.